This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host. I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode... Well, it's a big one. Um, it's a Foo Fighter. I'm uh, chatting to Chris Schiffler, and you're in for a treat because it's a, a lovely chat. And uh, and we talk about the new Foo Fighters record, and we talk about his podcast, and we talk about all the records that have been important on Chris's journey to, to this point. And uh, you're in for a treat. You really are. Um, before we get on with that chat, just uh, a few thank yous. Uh, thank you to Ash for putting this together um thank you to scroobius pip and everybody at the distraction pieces network thank you to 76 for producing this podcast uh thanks to my sponsor egg fried uh and yeah and thanks to you lot for supporting this podcast if someone would have told me a couple of years ago when i started this podcast that i'd be talking to you know one of the foo fighters i'd never believed you so it's because of you lot supporting the podcast and resharing and tweeting and such that that you know these things are starting to happen so thank you so much um yeah if this is also if this is your first time listening to the podcast welcome uh when you finish listening to my chat with chris go and explore the back catalog because there's about 240 episodes you can hear me talking to guests such as tommy lee butch fig um Chuck D, Fatboy Slim, Mel C. Uh, go, go and have a look because there's, there's stacks. And I'm sure you'll find some that uh, you'd be wanting to have a little listen to. Uh, and if you want to support the podcast, I have a Patreon page that accompanies that where each week I put up radio shows and video episodes and, and lots of other stuff. Um, and you can find out about all of this at www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. Let's get on with it. Please enjoy off the beaten track podcast with the wonderful Chris Schiffler. It's off the beaten track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. It me, Stu Whiffin. Okay, we are recording. Sitting opposite me today via the means of Zoom, Chris Schiffler. Hello. How you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. How are you doing? I'm good. It's a little cold. It feels a little, you know, British here in California today. It's a little, a little overcast. Well, we've, we've got snow today. This is the first bit of snow that we've had in... Uh, I'm just outside London, and uh, we've got snow today. So 
we've been locked down, and I guess we'll, we'll get on to that shortly, but we've been locked down for probably the same amount of time as you guys. So yeah. snow has been this kind of like really nice kind of change of scenery and just an opportunity to go out with the kids and, and play in the snow, you know? Yeah, nice. I mean, yeah, that's kind of like, you know, one of the big challenges of this whole thing is, especially on the family front, or, you know, entirely on the family front, is like keeping our kids active and getting them outside and, you know, all that sort of thing. How, how have you found, like, the last sort of 10, 11 months, you know, personally, and, and how have you found it professionally as well, like, creatively? Well, professionally, I mean, it's, it's, it's been obviously very strange and frustrating to have made a record that then has to just sit there for months and months before we could put it out. That's not the way, you know, obviously, you know, that's not the way that we normally do things. Normally we, we, we finish a record and go right into rehearsing and, and we're on the road before it comes out, but it usually comes out pretty quick. Um, so that's been really strange. Um, you know, creatively it's, it's given me all this time at home to tinker around and, you know, mess around with guitar stuff and write a bunch of songs and, and all that sort of thing. And it's been, you know, to, to be perfectly frank, it's been wonderful to be home for a nice long stretch with my, yeah. with my wife and kids. That's been great. Um, but, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, I feel like putting this record out has, has been obviously unique, but our team, the team that's sort of around the Foo Fighters has done a pretty amazing job of, of, of uh, getting attention on it without having the thing that rock bands really depend on, which is yeah. hitting the road. You know, that's, that's the most important thing for, for a band like Foo Fighters. Well, let's, let's talk records. And, uh, and for track one, Chris, I'm going to ask you the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please. This one was a tough one, man. Because Everyone says that, man. Everyone says <laughs> yeah, well, this is a tough one. Because, well, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why I thought it was a tough one. It was a tough one to me. Where the hell is that? My list. First, first let me find my list of songs. Um, it was a tough one to me because, because of course, you know, my first thought was like I needed to find some like prog rock song that had some crazy, you know, that just did some wild stuff. And then there's things like, you know, some some guitar hero stuff where, you know, I think of like um, the Ingve Malmsteen sort of whole guitar solo intro to the Steeler song Hot on Your Heels. I mean, I could have very well thrown that out there, but I went with something kind of brief and simple, which is the Clash uh, with their song Radio Clash, because that... The, that intro to it just it's such a like a declaration you know it's like bum, 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 and then joe strummer laughing you know what i mean it's like it's it's iconic and it's a really psychotic laugh as well isn't it, it just, totally it, it, it don't mess with you that's great that is um i just kind of like to ask musicians this question regarding intros as well and and in the time that you've been making music when you first started putting records out um the way that people will be listening to to those records would be very different to how they're listening to music now, you know, pre-streaming sure. and stuff like that. Yeah. And so, you know, in, in, you know, looking at the foods and looking at what you're doing now and, you know, the, the, the audience, you know, I, I think, you know, speaking from my perspective goes way beyond just your standard rock and roll fans. Like it's, it's a huge, huge, you know, phenomenon now. And I just wonder that when you look at how young people and their listening habits seem to be getting 
and their attention spans seem to be getting shorter and shorter. Like, and, and and hearing that, like, to get on the radio now, certain songs, you know, the vocal has to be in by this amount of time, and 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 all of that kind of stuff. And the fact that your first go to when I asked you about uh, intros was like prog and something very very grand and long. Yeah, yeah. Like the way that you you know would make music then to how you make music now. Have the changes in how people ingest it, has that affected your, your process of writing? Do you know where I'm going with that question? It's a bit yeah. long-winded. Well, I mean, no, I, I get it. I mean, if you look at the new Foo Fighter album, it's, it's only got nine songs, which is kind of brief, you know, historically for us. And the songs, I feel like this time around, and this I don't, I don't think was a conscious effort, but the songs are a little more concise this time around. You know, they're, 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 it's a shorter record, less songs, but even the songs themselves are a little shorter. I mean, I don't know. We're all sort of affected by losing our attention spans. We like to say it's just, the, you know, those kids nowadays, but, like, we're just as guilty of that, too. Yeah, you know absolutely. what I mean? Um, everybody is. Um, but, yeah, it's funny. I, I, there was a point a few years ago, I mean, it was quite a few years ago now, where we made a, a Foo Fighter documentary, and part of that process was I went back... Um, and reached out to a bunch of people that I'd grown up playing music with and got like all this video footage of our bands in high school and stuff. And I was really struck by, this is something I just kind of forgot about that era. And this was like the eighties, you know, when we were teenagers and going to lots of rock and roll shows and stuff. And everybody, it seemed like all the bands that we were seeing, they would have like, like, like intro music to the set, you know, where they would come out and they would do some instrumental thing and, you know, it would go on for a few minutes and the guitar players would take guitar solos and the singer might come out and go, woo, or what, you know. And our high school band kind of incorporated that into like almost everything. We Like every song had an intro that was like a different song <laughs> yeah. than the song itself, basically, you know. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of gone the way of the dodo. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um Okay, well, I mean, just to touch on, on The Clash as well, uh, before we go on to your second track, um, was the punk scene something that was pretty important to you growing up? Well, eventually, yeah. I mean, I grew up listening to, um, you know, my brother's records. My old, I had two older brothers, and, and you know, like in the, when we were kids in the 70s, it was like classic rock. Um, I, I'm old enough to remember when punk rock became a thing and the sort of, like, aura around it. And we weren't, like, punk rock kids at all. All like we, you know, the that at least in it was probably different where you were, but like in California, being a little kid at that time, and in Santa Barbara, like punk rock was like this scary thing where people are like killing each other at the shows, and you know all this crazy, you know all, all yeah. this stuff. So it seemed it seemed really scary. I mean, I rem- remember the I have a pretty clear memory of the first time I saw a punk rocker walking down the street, and and, yeah. and my and my reaction was like, oh fuck you know that's scary <laughs> yeah. and the, i think the guy just had like a, a buzz cut and like a plaid shirt or something it wasn't yeah. like he wasn't like mohawks and, and this whole thing you know it's yeah. like before all that um but um so for my for me like i got turned in on a punk rock really like junior high high school was when i first started getting turned on to it and it, it wasn't my first choice musically but i grew up in a small enough town that it was kind of the only choice on the like to go to like a uh see a band live at a party, it was going to be a speed metal, thrash metal band, or it was yeah. going to be a punk rock band. It was not going to be, you know, Hanoi Rocks or something that I, like, I would have yeah, preferred. Yeah. Hold on one sec. My dog is like no scratching worries, at the back door here to get out. So I kind of got turned on to, to 
Well, started getting into punk rock then, but it was all like stuff that, you know, I was like, this was like the mid eighties and I was listening to stuff from the late seventies, you know, it's like, they took me that long to get turned on to the clash and stiff little fingers and the damned and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Um, but you know, music around that time, you know, from the mid eighties into the early nineties, music changed a lot. My taste changed a lot. Like, you know, just things, things have a way of shifting, you know, and eventually I found myself playing guitar and no use for a name and being like pretty immersed in that, that world, you know, that scene at that time, which, which I loved, you know, that was, that was my favorite stuff kind of going on in those years, you know, no effects and bad religion and, and all the, all the related bands. I just loved it. Well, we'll we'll pick up on that kind of part of your journey uh, in a little bit, but I just want to sort of stay in the formative years uh, for this next track, please, Chris. And, and the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. <laughs> well, that, for that, you have to go back quite a bit. I mean, I, I, um, they, this would have been like the mid-70s, you know? Um, and there was two of them, and they both had a, the same effect on me. And one was, was uh, Isn't She Lovely by Stevie Wonder. My dad was a huge Stevie Wonder fan, so he would always be cranking Stevie Wonder. And every time that song would come on, Maybe it was because it starts with a baby crying. I don't know why. There's just something about that song. It would make me cry every time. And the other one that had basically the exact same effect on me was the Glenn Campbell version of Southern Nights that was like a huge hit in the 70s. And I don't know why that song did it. There's nothing really about it that's particularly, you know, heartbreaking or sad. I don't even know lyrically if it, it, I don't even know if it's like a romantic song at all, but, or whatever, but there's something about the pull of the, of the sounds of, of those songs just like did it to me. So you mentioned that, uh, you know, your dad would would be playing like Stevie Wonder and stuff. Was there always records on at home growing up? Oh, but yeah, always. My dad was a huge music fan and I didn't realize it at the time, but, but cause we, you know, we hated, we were into rock and roll, so we hated the music that he listened to, but he was listening yeah. to like, it was like a nonstop flow of Bob Marley and Stevie Wonder, which nice. is great. You know, I, eventually I realized that he actually was listening to the better music in the house, yeah. you know? I mean, I liked my brother's records too. My brother's records was, you know, it was Elvis and the Beatles and the Stones. And, and then as the seventies moved along, it maybe got a little more aggressive with Black Sabbath and Aerosmith and things like that. That. But, um, I, you know, I kind of, it's, it's funny talking about this stuff because I kind of, I have a theory that certain, like some people, and I consider myself one of them are, have a, uh, um, like a, a deeper, like physical reaction to music than others. I think there's a lot of people in this world that, um, that can, are casual with their listening choices and I'm not, I'm not casual and I never have been. And my brothers weren't casual and they never have been. And I just think some, I just think there's some people in this world. And I don't mean that like, it's like, look at me. I'm so great. And I don't like, no, I don't mean I, it like I that. I totally get you. Yeah. I just think it has like music has always had a physical impact on me and still does. Do you, do you get goosebumps? Oh Yeah. Yeah, because like not all people get goosebumps. I did. I only found that out like a little while ago. That you know, only certain people get goosebumps, and and I just think, man, if you've never had like goosebumps <laughs> from a record, like what a yeah. feeling to be missing out on. I know, right? I mean, that's 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 the that's it's why you listen to certain music when you're miserable, and it's why you listen to certain music when you're over the moon. You know, planning for your next trip. 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It just, it's, gives, it supercharges whatever emotion you're feeling at that time. So if you're having... You know, if you're having a low day and you're feeling a bit blue, do you do you sort of indulge that emotion and do you listen to something somber or do you go and put on some oh, kind yeah. of, you know, you like to kind of sort of process it and, and indulge it? Totally wallow in it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally the same, man. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Um, well, we touched on school um, briefly there. So for, for track three, I'm going to ask you, uh, please, Chris, the song that reminds you of your time at school. Well, which era, what are we calling, what are we referring to my school days? Because that, that would be, there'd be a range there, you know. If it was, like, real young, it'd probably be something by Kiss. Because, like, when I was real young, that was, like, my favorite band was Kiss. Okay. Um, um, and you could probably go with, like, Strutter by Kiss. Nice. Would be would be a good one, but if you get into high school, you know, you might get into like, you know, maybe like a Guns N' Roses track or something. I mean, Guns N' Roses, like when that whole thing, my group of friends, like I said, I mean, you're sort of exposed in high school to a lot of like punk rock and 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 thrash metal and things like that. But I had this core group of friends, and we were like like glam rock. And that was like our thing. So, um, and we would go see like, you know, Poison and Jet Boy and Pastor Pussycat and Guns N' Roses and all those bands, like when they were club bands and before they had record deals and all that stuff. So that was like our little secret scene that seemed kind of underground and cool. And then there was a point and like, you know, we would try to dress like those bands and stuff and people would make fun of us at school or whatever, you know, there's that whole sort of thing. Cause like that wasn't really very mainstream or mainstream at all. Like where I grew up. And then there was this incredible turning point in the, you know, around like 1986, 87, um, I guess it was like, or maybe a little bit later, 87, 88, whatever. When all of a sudden those bands, especially Poison and Guns N' Roses became like the biggest bands in the world. And then all of a sudden this weird little boutique scene that me and my friends had been into all these years suddenly became very mainstream and, um, and like maybe a little more like acceptable, uh, socially and that was a that 
was a strange. So if you could, if you want to pick like one song, you know, maybe it's like um, Night Train by Guns N' Roses would be a nice. good one. Yeah. Did you, did you enjoy school, Chris? Fuck no. <laughs> I was a terrible student. I mean, you know, I didn't have a particularly bad, bad experience or anything. Like I can't complain. It was, it was like, I was, I've dropped out of high school and hadn't, done much since about junior high and it was like straight F's, you know, for a lot of that time. And I blame nobody but myself. I was a uninspired, somewhat lazy, uh, kid. And, um, you know, that's, that's kind of much to my own children's chagrin because that's like my mission in life to not ever allow them to go, <laughs> go down that same road. <laughs> um, but no, I was a terrible student and I went to like, you know, the schools I went to were fine. They weren't bad schools. I didn't have bad teachers. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a case of like being oppressed by the man or whatever, you know, it was just like, yeah. I was just not focused. Was you a creative kid? Um, not, I mean, I don't know. Not really. I kind of came to songwriting really even late. Like I always loved playing guitar. I guess that's creative in a sense. And I always doinked around with little ideas and stuff, but I really didn't like really start trying to write my own songs until like well into my late twenties, early thirties. So I don't know. I, I don't know that I would describe myself as the most creative kid. I just loved rock and roll and I loved being in a band and I loved being around it and playing gigs. And I just loved all that part of it. But it was maybe a little bit later that the sort of artistic side of it hit home with me. Did you know what you wanted to be? Mm-hmm. From a very, very young age, which I recognize now was, was, was a, a good thing. You know, that's a real plus in your life, whatever it is you want to do to know from a young age and to really like, you know, I, I had no, there was no guesswork. I didn't know what, you know, I knew I wanted to be a, you know, whatever, a professional musician or whatever, be in a band. Obviously when you're 13 years old and you make that decision, you don't have any, the slightest idea what that really means yeah. or how to get there or what it would be like when you're there. And, um, but, uh, but yeah, no, that's, that's what I wanted. Was you a confident kid? I think in some ways I was kind of annoyingly like I was a mix of totally insecure and gullible and naive and totally like egomaniacal at the same time in some ways. Like I said, like me and my friends used to go to LA a lot and we would go see shows and we were sort of into music that was a little outside of the mainstream. And growing up in Santa Barbara, I had this kind of chip on my shoulder that I can recognize now of like, all, all these people around me, they don't know what's up and I know what's up, you know, and I'm going to go do this thing when I get out of here, when I get out of this little hick town, man, and, you know, that, that kind of attitude, um, which I think is just kind of funny now to look back at. Yeah. I mean, in, in regards to sort of, you know, I think one of the questions I like to ask alongside confidence is, I mean, you, you've, you've chose a, you know, a, a career in an industry that is, you know, very, very difficult to, you know, to succeed in. And, and, you know, and you, and you've, you've reached, you know, incredible levels of success. Like, are you driven? Yeah, I think so. Maybe more and maybe in a more organized way at age, you know, almost 50 than I was when I was 18. And if you look like, if, if I think about on like my path through the you know, through bands and through the music industry. Like I moved to 
LA when I was 18 in 1990, just in time for the LA music scene to completely have imploded and basically gone away. And that was during that shift when things were going from like rock music to like alt rock music and grunge yeah. and everything was sort of bubbling up and punk rock was, was on its way to becoming mainstream and all that sort of stuff. So there was this big sort of, you know, music shift, cultural shift happening um, that was, that was interesting. And, and really like, you know, I didn't get in a band that, that toured and made records until I was almost 24. You know, I was like 23 still, but just barely, you know, this was in 95 when I joined, you yeah. know, use for a name. And I honestly, and this is like a kind of a recurring theme. I feel like when I look back at things, I honestly felt like, like I'd missed the boat, you know, I was late on the freight. All my friends were in these bands going off on tour and making records and getting record deals. And whether that was within a punk rock indie label or a major label, whatever, were, all that stuff seemed to be happening for everybody all around me and not for me. Um, and then, and then I joined the use for a name and started making records and did that, you know, for whatever, four and a half years. And then I was really at the point for various reasons, um, of beginning to see the end of that for me, not necessarily for no use for name, but for me where, um, there were some internal issues around that band, um, that I was kind of at that point where I was beginning to feel like, you know, maybe I've had my run with this whole thing and maybe it's time to think about the next thing, you know, oh, I really? like, yeah, you know, I, I've in, in the, Spring of 99, I think it was, we were working on a new No Use for Name album. And I, for the first time ever, like I said, I dropped out of high school and never went to college. And then I signed up just kind of on a lark. I was living in San Francisco and I, I went to, um, took like a full load of classes at San Francisco City College that were just like, you know, base level, you know, English 101 or what, you know, just some stuff like that. And I really enjoyed it and, and, um, did that for a whole semester. And that was like, it like it was i don't know looking back what i would have done you know i don't know if i would have stuck with nice for name for another five years or 10 years or 20 years or whatever or quit the next week i, I don't know it's hard to know because my life suddenly diverged you know that summer i got the gig playing with the foo fighters but i was those thoughts were creeping into my head of like you know i was like 28 at that point i wasn't a kid anymore i was, I was a grown-ass man you know out there in the world and um and when I, and so that was kind of a, that was an interesting year for me, obviously, you know, I wound up getting this gig in this band that was like my favorite band of the moment and loved the Foo Fighters. And then, you know, things like, I think in some ways, like, I think it's, it's a good thing that that didn't happen for me until I was 28. And I also didn't step into like, you know, I didn't join the Foo Fighters and have my life radically alter. Yeah. Because I didn't all, it's not like when you do that, especially considering where the band was at at that point, which was in much smaller level of success, even though it was, you know, successful and mainstream and hit songs and all that stuff, it was much smaller than it is now. So it wasn't like I all of a sudden, you know, had a mansion and a Lamborghini and a fucking couple of tigers and, you know, went yeah. off the rails completely. And I was a yeah. little more, you know, I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I was some like, you know, shining, uh, responsible human at that point. I wasn't, but, um, but it was probably a good thing that that didn't happen to me when I was 18. I'll just put yeah. it that way. You know, you, you got the Tigers now though, right? Oh, can't Yeah. I just let it out the back door. You didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> I called it my dog, but really it's, yeah, that's scruffy. The tiger. Well, just, 
I, I'm always interested when I speak to uh, musicians as well about, um, you know, the, the idea of imposter syndrome. And, and you know, I've seen, I've seen your band many times and, you know, and I've watched multiple, you know, food performances where there's fucking thousands and thousands of people there. And, and you know, and I've seen, just watching some stuff today prepping for this, you know, seeing you on Saturday Night Live with, like, Mick Jagger and stuff. And it's like... Oh, yeah. Do, do you ever kind of stand there and just think, fuck, like, uh, what am I doing? Like, how am I here? <laughs> like, you know, and I know, that, and that's not taking anything away from your, you know, achievements, but just... That kind sure. of imposter syndrome. Do you ever get that? Just thinking, how am I here? This is nuts. Um, in, see, it was, I don't know if I... Like I said, it's been such a kind of slow journey through the years, you know, yeah. that it's, it's built. So you don't spend that much time reflecting on, on things in that way. But we, it, I'll tell you, we, because last year was the 25th anniversary of the band, and we were supposed to do this 25th anniversary tour. And so because that couldn't happen... Um, we did this like slideshow. I don't know if you saw that thing. We did this mm. slideshow where we all sat there and just looked through like a million pictures of, of over the years. And that was definitely one of those moments where you, not so much like in terms of like imposter syndrome or whatever, but in terms of like, fuck, we have covered an insane amount of <laughs> yeah. ground and look how old we are now. <laughs> Jesus, we were so young <laughs> you know, when the whole thing started out. But, um, yeah, it's it's wild, man. When you think about it, I mean, you mentioned the Mick Jagger thing. That that was like that. It just doesn't get. The only thing that could top that for me personally would be to do the same thing with Keith Richards. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Um, track four. First song you remember buying from a record store, please, Chris. Well, the first album uh, I ever bought with my own money. I spent many years just listening to my brother's records. Um, and didn't have to buy my own records and kind of didn't have my own taste in music. And that I feel like started to, I started to develop my own specific opinions about what was what maybe around the time that I bought my first record, which was, uh, uh, double platinum by kiss, which could go back, you know, the open, I think the opening track, if I remember that right, is the, is the remake of strutter called strutter 78, mm. which you could go right back to my answer from a few questions ago of strutter so you know from then and then to you know as you got older how important did like record stores become for you oh so important i mean there was there were um you know at that time in the whatever that was the late 70s through the through the 80s there were record stores all over town there was one in downtown santa barbara called sound factory that i used to go to all the time and you know knew the guys that worked in the behind the counter and and they were, you know, that's how you wound up buying all kinds of stuff because they would go, oh, you're into that? Check this out. You know, you got to check yeah. this thing out. Um, so there was a lot of that or like going, I remember going to like uh, that Japanese band Loudness play in town and did like a signing at at, uh, at Sound Factory. And I, I still have my copy of that record that I took down there and had them sign it and, you know, nice. stuff like that. But also like you know, rooting or when I got a little older, like there were some really good record stores out in um, Goleta and out in Isla Vista and Isla Vista was the part of town where there's like a big college. So you had like all the, the record stores that kind of catered to that and were a little more off the beaten path. And we would just go out there and root around in those bins and, you know, look just fine little gems. And, you know, you didn't, especially if you were into any kind of whatever form of like underground music you were into, 
in those days, um, you had to do a lot of searching and you didn't, if you got into a band, you didn't know if that was necessarily, if that was like the only record they had, or maybe they had 10 records and it would take like years to figure out a band's whole catalog. At least it did for me where I lived. And so you'd be, that was a big part of the thing. You'd be looking through like, what the fuck is this New York dolls record? And because of that, being a dumb kid, I bought like a lot of boombox uh, bootlegs that were totally yeah. useless. Still have many of those in my record collection. But do you think that there's, you know, I, I don't want to kind of, you know, uh, I'm, I'm 47, so I'm, 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 I'm kind of mindful that I don't want to kind of sort of sound like an old guy. But hey, before you, you uh, before you finish that question, I thought I might introduce to you my tiger. Oh, that is a very Look pretty this tiger. Guy, huh? Look at this guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Nice. There you go. Anyway. Yeah, so, I, I, you know, I, at 47, I'm, I don't want to sound like the old guy, but what you just said there about, you know, it can take years to kind of find out about bands and their back catalogue because we didn't have the internet then. Yeah. And do you think there's something that's been lost in how technology has advanced. There's something that's been lost in, in the journey that that was and like, and, and just the passion that what you did get, you would hold and study the sleeve notes and the artwork. And do you think there's something yes. lost there? I think there's a huge thing lost there. And I, and I've, I've talked about this before where I think that um, because you would wind up, you know, I don't know how often I would actually buy a new album in those days, maybe get a new album every couple of months or something. Um, and even if you thought it sucked, you still wound up listening to it over and over for that very reason, because, mm. you know, it was you, because you fucking went and spent 10 bucks on it or whatever, and yeah. you were going to listen to it anyway, you know, so you, you just got to know it. Um, you know, I think that, that that whole part of it is gone. And, you know, my kids don't have that experience at all. Mm. It's like too much uh, um, available at their fingertips. But then that is, you know, that's obviously the upside of this whole thing, too, is, yeah, you know, that's I think you lose something and you gain something. The thing that you gained might outweigh the thing that you lose. But I don't know. I mean, did I don't I don't know that I could exactly measure the way that that turned me into a music fan and a passionate yeah. music fan. I think it helped, you know, because there was that like it's a, it always means a little more when you have to make an effort to do something, whatever it is. So I don't know. But I do like, you know, that nowadays I hear some old honky tonk singer and I just go whoop, whoop, and find it on yeah. Spotify. And, you know, I, I, I love that part of technology too. So yeah, it's good. Yeah. Bad. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely. Absolutely. Um, for track six, uh, oh no, track five, I'm going to, um, ask you about the song that soundtrack your years clubbing. Yeah. I mean, if, if I, I don't, I think clubbing is maybe, well, I mean, people go clubbing here, of course. Too. I was going to say that's maybe more of a, of a, of an English distinction, but that would be silly because obviously there's plenty of clubs here, but you know, when, when, um, when I was younger and, and doing club, going clubbing, like my version of that would be going to keg parties or something as, yeah. a, as a kid growing up. So, uh, in, in San Barbara, where I grew up, like the soundtrack to keg parties will always seem to be Metallica yeah. and nothing against Metallica. Like, um, cause you know, obviously legendary band, but they weren't, that wasn't really my musical scene, but, but I know that all those records from the eighties, like front to back because 
you know, you just heard them all the time, yeah. everywhere you went, in everybody's car, and you know, at, the, at every keg party, it, it was always Metallica. So yeah, I'd, I'd go with so that. Was, I picked Ride the Lightning just because I always liked that one. So was there rock clubs though? There, well, I mean, there were in in Santa Barbara. There was a there was like a, a place that my band used to play a lot actually in those days called Club Iguana. And then there was um, another club across the street that we played a lot called uh, called Carnival. So there certainly was. But, you know, when I think of clubbing, I think of like Studio 54 or something like yeah, that. Or yeah. like or what's what's the one in uh, um, the famous one in uh, the, what was it? The Hacienda. Yeah. Manchester. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I think of that sort of thing. And I never that was never my world. You know, like yeah. I never had that. Like when I was old enough to get into a club, I was going to like a dive bar down the street. You know? Yeah. 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 So yeah. It wasn't it was a different uh, a different experience. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Um, okay, for track six, I'm going to take you home. And uh, I want a favorite song from an artist from your home county, please, Chris. Well, okay. So Santa Barbara, where I grew up, there's a lot of music that's come out of that town over the years. Um, lots and lots of music. But I think the most famous band to ever come out of Santa Barbara, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm probably going to get harangued for this. But um, but I would think it would be Toad the Wet Sprocket. I mean, they they were a really big band there for, for a time, you know. And, and I remember, like, my band in high school, a very different kind of thing. But we played some gigs with them, and I knew Glenn and a couple of those guys a little bit, you know. And, and I remember um, before they had their record deal, they self-produced their first record. And um, I was working at this coffee shop downtown when I was about 17. I remember Glenn coming in. And he was selling cassette tapes of the record, like out of his backpack. And uh, I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, I'll buy one of those. And, um, and there was a song on that record that's my favorite Toad the Wet Sprocket song. It's called Know Me. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I got to go with Toad. Nice. That's a great tune. I'd never heard that until like, I got your list over. And oh, really? The first time I heard it. Yeah, it's great. Great man. tune. I remember, it's funny because I remember before they, they had recorded that, I remember asking Glenn, like, about that song and he told me that he just made the lyrics up on the spot differently every time they played it (laughs) really so i don't know how he finally whittled it down to what he put on the record but yeah that was that was always like 
really? How the fuck do you pull that off, man? That's a good tune. <laughs> All right, last track, Chris. Um, this is when you can play DJ and turn someone onto something new. Um, yeah. It's a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear, please. Well, there is an artist. He's, he's actually been around for a while, um, but he had a big, long gap between records, and uh, this guy, Waylon Payne, and I just interviewed him a few days ago for my own podcast, um, but he's got a, um, he's got a new out, or, you know, pretty new album out now. Um, so this song, Sins of the Father, is, is off that record, and it's a really good record. It's one of those records that sounds sounds. I mean, he recorded at the old Monument Studios in Nashville. It's called Southern Ground now, where, like, you know, Christofferson and, and, and Waylon's mom, Sammy Smith, recorded all those records. And, um, and it just sounds like that. It sounds like, you know, it sounds new and fresh and, and everything, but it also sounds like it could have been recorded in 1970 or something. And so, you know, it's just one of those records that kind of sits in those two places. And amazing voice, great songwriter, um, and uh, writes, like, really personal songs kind of about... Well, you'll listen to it. You'll figure it out. Sins of the Father. Okay. Well, we put together a, a Spotify playlist, Chris, to accompany this podcast so people can go and uh, listen to all your, your song choices and the records that we spoke about today. Um, as we sort of find ourselves, you know, rolling into 2021, uh, you know, with, with vaccinations being rolled out and, and, you know, levels of infections dropping and, and you know, being positive here, like what what are you looking forward to for you know the remainder of this year personally, and what's happening professionally? Um, yeah, I mean uh, personally, I look forward to getting the vaccine when it becomes available. Um, and uh, professionally, you know, I I really hope that we can get on the road. I think there's a lot of people still thinking it might be summer. There's other people who are thinking it's more like fall. I my gut. I mean, what do I know? I'm, I'm no expert. And there's a lot of factors involved in that whole thing. But I think that you'll see us on the road at some point this year. Oh, that's that's so. my guess. I hope, you know, we all hope. And how good is that going to be? How, how good is it going to be after this amount of time just to have, like, whatever you're giving out, they're going to give back just as much you know we're all starved of it do you know what i mean live music being whether you're playing it or just listening i just think these these first gigs back are just you know for yeah. any artist are just going to be fucking yeah. incredible yeah i i totally agree i think it's going to be nuts i think people are so beyond ready for it that it'll be it, it's going to be wild i'm sure even if it's socially distanced and and reduced capacities and all that sort of thing i think it'll be yeah. uh, people will be uh, ready to let loose Excellent. Well, uh, I guess everybody knows where to find out about what the Foo Fighters are up to. Um, you know, I think uh, I don't need to be shouting about the website for them. Um, just quickly tell us about the podcast. Yes, yeah, so I have a podcast called Walking the Floor. Uh, I've done it for since I think about two, 2013. And um, mostly interview like Americana and country music artists. But no, it's not only that, but it's, it's a lot of that. And um, yeah, it's it's available everywhere, like you know, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, check it out. Um, I try to do it consistently. Sometimes my schedule prevents me from doing that, especially when you know things have been been so busy lately. So uh, it's been a little tough, but but uh, but yeah, wonderful, Chris. Thanks so much for your time today, man. I know that like you must be a very busy man, so I really appreciate being able to have a chat with you about records, man. And uh, absolutely, man. Thank you, man. It's so nice to. Thank you. It's it's nice to talk to someone. You know, you do so many interviews around 
record release that are all kind of the same interview. So I always appreciate when somebody puts a little something else into it. Oh, wonderful. Oh, thanks loads, man. You take it easy, Chris. Yeah, take care. There you go. That was my chat with an actual Foo Fire. That was uh, the absolute gent that was Chris Schiffler. And yeah, I mean, I hope you got, you know, a fraction of the joy listening that I did sitting here having this chat over Zoom with him. What a, what a top man. Um, go check out the incredible new Foo's record and... Yeah, go check out the podcast because that's ace. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, go and have a look in the back catalogue um, of this podcast as well because you'll find some some great chats with lots of your favourite musicians, DJs, producers, actors, comedians. Go and have a, a little look there. You can find out about all of that at www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. Uh, I'm on all the social media fronts. Uh, well, no, I'm not really. I'm on uh, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, TikTok and all of them ones. I think I'm too old for them, so I'm going to leave them well alone. But if you do see us on the other socials, please give us a like, love, share, retweet, and all that stuff because it all helps. And uh, because this is, uh, yeah, this is just about getting the word out there and, and, you know, and more people getting to hear these lovely chats with these wonderful people. I'm back next time. Thanks ever so much for listening. Um, thanks once more to Chris for giving up his time to, uh, to have this chat, and I'll see you next time. Take care, people. Bye-bye. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year, and they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music, and they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable, and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track Podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me, Stu Whipping. Eat it, boy.